Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Well, good morning again, everybody. So excited to be here with you and, and us just worshiping together. We're continuing the series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we've leaned in and allowed Jesus to speak to us, to challenge us. It's been, it's been deep in our hearts. It's been liberating. And the only reason why God challenges us in areas of our lives is because he wants us to actually live a life that's worth living. He wants us to live a life that we actually want to live. And so we've, th- this sermon is called Sermon on the Mount, and it was not named by Jesus. He didn't say the title of my sermon today. That's not what Jesus did. But he was teaching this sermon on a hillside with his disciples listening and thousands of people around. And his words still speak today. And his words still, still go deep in our hearts. And a lot of what Jesus was doing on the Sermon on the Mount, and he was correcting people's misunderstandings about the Bible, about the law. And he was addressing him. How many know this, that there are a lot of misunderstandings about the Bible even today still? But Jesus was addressing it. And he's talking about how we should live as followers of Jesus. And up to this passage today, he's dealt with things in our hearts like murder. He was talking about murder. It wasn't just the act of murder. Jesus was talking about where did that murder come from. It came from the anger in our hearts. He also talked, because he was talking about marriage, talked about adultery. And it wasn't just the act of adultery that he says is not for believers. He, he, he backtracked all the way back to the heart and dealt with lust in our hearts. Now, why would Jesus do that? I'll tell you why. Because he wants you to live a life that's actually worth living. He wants his life-giving power to flow through your life. And so we continued today to listen to the words of Jesus. And now we come to Matthew chapter 5 that I will look at in just a moment. Verses 31 and 32. And I want to share with you something today. Whether you are married, single, widowed, divorced, the words of Jesus in this passage touch every single one of us. The issues we're looking at today is not just an issue of Jesus' day. It's an issue that's affected every generation. It's affected every century. Ever since the creation of marriage, there has been disharmony, there has been dissatisfaction, and the desire to get out of it. Now this by no means is an exhaustive message or sermon or study on marriage and divorce. But the truth is this, sometimes divorce cannot be stopped. It's necessary, it's unavoidable. And the truth is when you enter a marriage, this, come on, just hear me today, you are at the mercy of your spouse. You can't control their decisions or their behaviors. And also, before I get into this, I want those who have walked through the valley of divorce to know you are loved here. You are accepted here. You are not tarnished and marked for life because of divorce. You have a future 
Now hear me today, I believe in the gospel. Everything about me and my bones down to the core of who I am believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And any gospel that limits your future because of a past mistake or someone else's impact on your life or, or a past failure is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not. Any gospel that limits your future or what God can do in and through your life because of your choice or the choice of another is not the gospel. And I know that many Christians who have had to suffer through the pain of divorce. By the way, all circumstances are different. There's no blanket on any of it that you can say, oh, it covers everything. It doesn't. Because we're all surrounded by unique circumstances. But any Christian who's had to walk through that, not only have they had to deal with the gut-wrenching pain of their situation and of divorce, they've also had to deal with the gut-wrenching pain of the rejection or shame from other Christians. That is not to be in this church or in the kingdom of God. That is not God's purpose. That is not God's grace. That is, the, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God is the God of second chances. He's a God of grace. And he is in the business of restoring, restoring lives and restoration. Amen? The purpose of this message today is meant to be instructive. It's meant to be preventative, healing, and encouraging. There are many directions I could go today, but with the time I have, I, I'm going to do my best to remain true to this passage and the meaning of this passage of Jesus. So I want to talk to you about marriage from the beginning. What is marriage and what was it intended from the beginning? Number one, that God intended marriage to be beautiful and to make each person's life better with it. It's a gift. And we find that in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord... God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And at last the man explained, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She, sh she shall be called woman. Now, actually, the understanding of this is this is a, a, a word that actually was just compound because when Adam saw Eve for the first time, he was like, whoa, man. I made all that up. I thought it was funny though. <laughs> because she was taken from man, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united as one. This is the intent and desire of God for Adam and Eve in marriage in the beginning to be in union together to help one another. Adam was excited. He had a new mate, a new partner. This was not just the friendship that he was going to hang out with and, 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 and play video games with. This was much, much deeper. He is to then leave his identity of singleness and to step into marriage, union. And they shall become one flesh. There's a pattern throughout Scripture regarding the covenant of marriage. And I say covenant because a contract is based off of, if you do this, I'll do this. If you don't do this, we, we've broken a contract. A covenant is, I'm gonna do this whether you do this or not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna love you whether you love me or not. That is what a covenant is. 
But there's a pattern through scriptures that is to leave, you are to cleave, and to you're, you're to become. You're to leave your identity in marriage, or before you begin, get married, married, you're to establish yourself brand new, and you're to cleave to one another, you're to marry, you're to covenant into relationship with that other person, and then you are to become. You leave, you cleave, and you become. You become inseparable, permanent flesh. And it's not just about the union of flesh, it's the union of spirit. God designed the marriage bed to make the two one flesh, one connection, yes, but also the spirits are one. It's the welding of two into one. The blending of two minds, two wills, two sets of emotions, two spirits. And you are welded together, a bond that in the beginning, God's intent was to be indissolvable as long as both partners are alive. God created this for our good and for our pleasure. This is the original intent of marriage. But as we know, it didn't continue that way. So what happened? Well, number two, sin corrupted the perfect potential of marriage, but not God's original intent for it. So yes, sin corrupted the original intent, but as sin came into the lives of both Adam and Eve, it corrupted that potential of relationship that was perfect. Sin brought a another dynamic between their relationships, between the man to the woman and the woman to the man in marriage. Because of the fall, God describes how sin is now going to affect their relationship, now hear me today, and every relationship after the fall. Genesis chapter three, verse 16, God describes what sin's gonna do in the relationship. And he's speaking to the woman, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Can anyone just pinpoint any issues here? <laughs> this, is not, this is not instruction for marriage. The man is not saying, what, the Bible says I'm to rule over you. The woman says, yes, but also the, the Bible says that I have the desire to control you, so that's what I need to do as well. This, this is a bad thing. God is not describing something good here. He, this is the result of sin. The result of sin. The friction in marriage is the result of sin. As sin took root in the hearts of humankind from the beginning, God had a plan to save us. And so he chose a people, a bloodline, through Abraham, later to be called the Jews, to then give us the law later on. What was the purpose of the law? Romans describes it perfectly. It says this, that the purpose of the law was to give us the knowledge of sin, to show us you've fallen short, to show us you're sinning, to give us a standard. And then as, as God's people was, were given the law from God through Moses, they realized we can't keep this perfectly. And so it gave us the understanding. The standard was here, we were here. No matter how hard we try, we couldn't, we couldn't do it perfectly. Therefore, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a gap. And so, who's gonna make up that gap? Well, one God had to show us we needed him. 
He had to show us we couldn't do it on our own. And so through that same people group, God gave us Jesus, the Savior. So Jesus came. He took on flesh. He became one of us. And we come to his sermon today as we hear him talking. Now listen, listen, this is the context of what Jesus is talking about, the law. And so I want to just share with you a little bit about what Jesus is doing in marriage, what was happening in the days of marriage during the time of Jesus. So you need to understand before we read this passage, Jesus is discussing and talking about current things going on in the culture at that time. So Jesus says this in Matthew 5, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus said, it has been said. What's he talking about? He's referencing the law. He's referencing the scripture out of Deuteronomy of this. Matthew 24, 1. When a man takes a wife, now this is, this is the law coming through Moses. When a, law, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor, favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness. Now, this uncleanness is what everything I'm about to tell you is about. If he finds uncleanness in her and he writes her, then he's to write her a certificate of divorce. He can write her a certificate of divorce divorce. As, as you've seen, clearly, it feels like the man is in power. The man makes all the decisions. This was what was going on in the culture, the Jewish culture at the time. Context is so important for you to understand what Jesus is saying. During the time of Jesus, there were two schools of thoughts about marriage and divorce. One position was from the school of Shimei that taught sexual sin was the only permissible reason to end a marriage by divorce. You could beat your wife, you could make her sleep outside, you, you, could, you, you could abuse her verbally, you could degrade her, you could do whatever you want, but as long as you didn't commit sexual sin, you're fine. You're still honoring the law. Anybody see a problem with that? So that was the one side. Then there was the school of Hillel that thought that anything a wife did that displeased her husband was considered unclean. So they were writing the laws, they were writing the interpretation of what unclean was. So if they didn't like it, let's just chalk, chalk that as unclean. So they were trying to find valid reasons so they could divorce their spouse or their wife. So you had one who said no divorce without sexual sin and that, that did not produce healthy relationships either because they were bound by the law, their belief, so they could be abused and, and the woman had no hope, no choice. But then you had the other one where it said actually the laws, we, let's just write it as we go along. If, we get, if I get tired of her, let's write, it, let's write that and say, hey, you can't do that. Therefore, she's unclean. Therefore, now I can justify divorcing my wife because of some unclean thing that I just made up that's unclean. 
Which one do you think was the most popular one at the time? The second one. That if I want to find a reason to divorce, I can. And really what Jesus is doing, first off, he's protecting women. He's protecting women from being abandoned, women from being destitute. And he's, and he's, he's protecting the women from being a victim of their irresponsible low-life husbands. That's what he's doing. And in this view, there, there were ridiculous grounds of why you could divorce. If you made a covenant, these laws and rules almost made marriage or the covenant of marriage meaningless. Jesus is putting value on marriage. He's lifting marriage up to a place that's powerful and leaning back towards the original intent. But let me list just a few of the beliefs at the time, what Jesus was addressing to. So you could divorce your wife through the school of halal, and this was the most popular view, if she couldn't conceive, if she became deaf or mute, if she had epilepsy, if she had warts or leprosy. Also it was taught that if she failed to perform home duties in the, in the way that you felt like she should, you could divorce her. If her husband considered that she was lazy or thought even more ridiculous, that you could divorce your wife if her, and I'm not joking, if her head was shaped like a wedge, like a turnip or a hammer, a man could divorce his wife if she had poor posture, if her hair began to thin, if her eyebrows were too thick, if her eyebrows were too thin, or if she didn't have eyebrows at all. He could divorce his wife if she had, I'm not joking, a pug nose, if her eyes were too high on her head, too low on her head, if she were cross-eyed, she had no eyelashes, if her eyes were two different colors, if her eyes watered too much, if her eyes were big as a cat or small as a goose. If she suffered, I, I don't understand this one, but if she suffered from the swelling of the big toe, you could divorce your wife. Or she ate something that the husband told her not to eat. Or if she visited the home of her parents without the husband's permission. If she burned supper, I won't say anything else. <laughs> if she didn't offer intimate relationships as frequently as he wanted. And the list goes on and on and on to these ridiculous things that they were actually, it was happening in the community. They were just making stuff up to justify their divorce. As you can see, this way of thinking was disrespectful to the woman. It was degrading to the woman. It was frivolous, and women were treated as items to be tossed away by their husbands if he didn't like her in any way. Men made the rules along the way so they could justify their divorce and appease their conscience that, see, that says, see, I'm right before God. This is the context of what Jesus is saying. Over in Matthew 19, the Pharisees want to know the question. They, the reason why they're asking this question, we're going to read. They want to know, Jesus, are you a Shemay man or are you a Hillel, Hillel man? That's why this is the question in verse 3, 19. Pharisees came to test him. Remember, they're testing him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And then they went back to the law. 
They went back to Moses. Verse 7, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Notice, did Moses command? I, I, don't, I don't know if you see what the Pharisees are doing there. But they said, did Moses command that we divorce if there's any reason? Actually, divorce is never commanded in the Bible. It is permitted under, circum under certain circumstances. So instead of Jesus answering the question about the law of Moses, he actually goes back to a more superior truth, which is back to the beginning where we just were in the Garden of Eden, the creation of marriage, Adam and Eve, to the original intent, the original gift of marriage between one man and one woman, which was to be forever. So what is Jesus saying about marriage? That's the question. Jesus, what are you saying about marriage? Well, as he's talking to the Pharisees, and now that you know the context of what he's saying, Jesus is saying this, number one, as people in his kingdom, we are to be preoccupied with making marriage work, not with trying to find ways to get out. Because they were obsessed, the Pharisees were obsessed trying to find a way to get out. Jesus said, no, no, not, not, not for people in my kingdom, not marriages in my kingdom. No, you're to be preoccupied. Come on, we're going to make this thing work. We're going we're gonna to to work together. We're going to humble ourselves. We're, we're going we're gonna to thrive. The Pharisees were obsessed with trying to find a way out. But Jesus is telling us that's not to be for those who are in his kingdom, we are to be obsessed with making our marriage strong and stay in it. That's what he's saying. This is not a message to those who aren't following Jesus. Even in the aspect of marriage, in the institution of marriage, this is a message to marriages under the blood of Jesus Christ. The world will act like the world, and to be obsessed over what they do with marriage is, is, can be a little silly. But we are to be obsessed what our marriage is going to look like in our lives as people submitted to the kingdom of God. I understand the institution of marriage is what, what our society is built on and all of that, and I get that. And there is, a, there is an importance of protecting marriage, one man, one woman, I, I understand that. But the law of God, this is for us as believers. He says it, now that I'm saved, I'm a new creation, therefore I'm going to operate under the law of the Lord. The sole, purpose, the sole purpose of the sermon is for believers. So if God's will is for you to be married, then Jesus wants you to receive, it's a gift of marriage but to live within the parameters so you can live the life that he's actually called us to live. On a side note, just, just to, to cover as wide as I possibly can, marriage is not a requirement for believers in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that singleness can be a better choice to pursue God working in and through your life. This could be for a season or it could be for life. But being single, now hear me today, is not a bad thing, 
It's not a good thing. As followers of Jesus, the question is, is it God's thing for my life? What many people forget is the man teaching this sermon is a 30-year-old single man. Now back to the topic of marriage. I know we live in a society that doesn't honor marriage. I know that. It doesn't honor the gift. It doesn't honor the institution of marriage. But we don't honor it because it's, it's an institution. We honor it because God honors it himself. Because God created it to give us life, to protect us, to help us, to shape us for his purposes, to raise children, to satisfy our needs. And just like the Pharisees, in our arrogance and in our superiority complex, we can fall into the trap that we know what's better for our lives than God. Thank you, I know I'm saved, but I know what's better. And what happens is we can become deceived by the world system. And the world system doesn't need a reason to end a marriage and divorce. That's why the Bible says as believers, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. You're in it, but we're not of it. We're different. Jesus in Matthew 5 and 19 is very clear that he condemns the idea of frivolous divorce that was gaining popularity in his day, but also we see it's gaining popularity in our day. And unfortunately, the popularity of frivolous divorce in the world has worked its way into the children of God, has worked its way into the church. And Jesus is saying that is not to be for you who were in my kingdom. And the kingdom of God, for the children of a God, marriage is sacred, marriage is divine. Marriage is ordained, is an ordained union and given as a gift by a great God to his people. And we're not to take it lightly. We're to, we're to make it work. We are not to find frivolous reasons to get out we are not to be like the Pharisees who didn't like something about the individual. So therefore, God gives me permission. We often hear that God hates divorce. And this, that scripture is used a lot to, to many times to condemn people who have walked through the pain of it. Malachi 2.16 says this, For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. It's interesting Side note, I didn't mention this first service. And Isaiah, Isaiah gives a word of the Lord and God issued a certificate of divorce to Israel. So why, if God hates it, how come he did that? But why does God hate divorce? Listen, you need to understand <clears throat> the Pharisees, if the law said it, Okay, that's what it is. They didn't understand the heart of it. They had, the, they, they had the, the, the letter of it, but not the spirit of it. They knew what it said, but they didn't understand the heart behind it. They had principles, but they didn't have a prince. It was all about the law. So why does God hate divorce? Why would he say that? That's the question. Because if you think, and actually for me, when I think of all the horror stories, and you've heard them as well, maybe you've even lived one, about marriage's ending, it's not very hard to see why God hates divorce. If you want to know why God hates divorce, ask someone that's been through one, and they'll tell you. 
Ask the woman who is left alone with children, a house payment, an unreliable car because her husband decided he wants out. Ask a man whose wife decided that she didn't, she didn't want to be married anymore. She, she wanted to be free. She, she wants to be herself. And after she consulted with her girlfriends in the club one night, they realized, yes, you need to be happy. Ask the children who have lived through abandonment, through tears, uncertainty, who live the rest of their life feeling personally rejected because mom or dad decided to leave the family. Ask a grandparent who has to jump through legal hoops to just see their grandchildren every once in a while. If you want to know why God hates divorce, ask them. They will tell you why. Anyone in their right mind hates divorce. Hates what it does to people. Hates how it destroys people's lives. You know why God hates divorce? Because he loves people. Because he loves you. The enemy of God, which is Satan. So Satan is the enemy of God. Satan's number one goal is to destroy everything that God created to give us life. He knows that the truth of God, when we apply it to our lives, when we live by it in our lives, by the help of God, it gives us a full and satisfying, happy life. So his purpose is to get us to believe that we know what's best. I know what I really want. Happens all the time. But remember, Satan's goal flows out of who he is. Jesus said that the enemy came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And his number one method in influencing us, particularly in this area of marriage, is, is to influence us through the way we think through the world, through our friends, through our coworkers, through secular counselors. Our thinking and belief is what drives our choices. If he can get you to believe it, then you will act on it. You become what you believe. So therefore, he's always getting at the belief. It goes actually back to the garden when, when, when the enemy, now listen to me, the enemy deceived Eve before she sinned and ate of the fruit. And God said to her, Sorry, the enemy said to her, did God really say you can't eat? And he gets us to believe the wrong thing, then the action is the wrong thing. It's what drives our choices. And the choices outside of the word of God always lead to pain, broken relationships, regret and shame, and the dismantling of family. And in many ways, many Christians have believed this lie. Believe the lie that marriage is not that big of a deal. Believe the lie actually that my changed heart and my current feelings towards my spouse, that is the most important thing. So therefore, I will, I will react to that, my feeling. Or this thought, I just got married young. I didn't really know who I am, but I know who I am now. And so, you know what? It's just, it, I, I'm, I'm out. I want to follow my dreams. The enemy has lied to us as believers and told us getting out is way better than staying in. 
The enemy lies and says the kids will understand. The enemy says your life will actually be better. That way of thinking, my friends, is seductive, it's destructive, it's demonic, and a divorce with no biblical grounds, divorce without the willingness to humble your heart, the willingness to own your own failures and shortcomings in the relationship without repenting of the hardness of heart, a divorce decided outside of the counsel of the Word of God, outside of godly and biblically-based friends, family, pastor, A decision to divorce outside of the wisdom of God. Jesus is saying that decision to divorce will not bring the life that I have for you. And those who avoid godly counsel are just like the Pharisees. They are looking for ways to get out. You see it all the time. As a follower of Jesus, for you and me as following Jesus... Our desires don't tell us what to do with our lives. That's a lie of the enemy. Our life is not built on desires. Our life is built on the word of God. So as a follower of Jesus, my desires don't tell me what to do with my money, with my sexuality, with my thought life, with my anger, with my passions, my possessions, my body, my health, my job, or my marriage. The Word of God tells me how to live life to the fullest. And that's what God sent His Son to do for you. Not to put a weight on you, not to put limitations on you, not to constrict constrict you, not to rob you from real life. No, Jesus came to set you free from yourself. He came to give you a life that's actually worth living. It's filled with, with deep satisfaction. And what Jesus is saying, now that you're following me, I will give you the power to obey my Word. I will give you the power to stay faithful to your spouse, to hold the covenant, the marriage covenant between man and woman in high honor, to be an example of your children and how to live life to the fullest. Jesus says, if you'll follow me and you'll obey me and allow me to help you, you will live a life you've always wanted to live. So what about divorce? What about those who have walked through the valley and the pain of divorce. Because Jesus said anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual morality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So obviously, if if, if you wanna take this literally, what it says, if you wanna, that means a wife can divorce with no reason, but a, a man can't, his wife, Obviously, there's some principles here, right? There's some deeper stuff. And what's happening is Jesus, again, is addressing the cultural norms. And because the issue was with men divorcing their wives, just all the time. And it was ruining their lives. So what if you have walked through divorce, or you've been the victim of divorce, or maybe it was your idea What now? First thing you need to understand is number one, all divorce is a result of sin. All divorce is a result of sin. Without sin, there would be no fights, there'd be no irreconcilable, excuse me, irreconcilable issues. I still mess it up, we're gonna move on. There would be no, you, you could, that wouldn't exist. There'd be no anger, be no substance abuse, there'd be no abuse. 
There'd be no abandonment. Without sin, there'd be no lust that could lead to unfaithfulness. Without sin, there'd be no sexual perversion that would lead to immorality. Without sin, there'd be no selfishness that leads to, hey, I'm out. You figure it out. I'm divorcing you. No hardened hearts, no power struggle, no pain of divorce. So hear me today, my friends. If you have been hurt by divorce, no matter how you have been involved, I want you to hear something. The Lord is here for you today. The sin of the past, the sin done against you, the betrayal, the shame of your own decisions, the wounds of someone else's, the Lord says to you, you need to lift your head, child, because Number two, Jesus offers forgiveness, healing, and cleansing from the sin of divorce. Jesus is in the business of restoration. The truth is we all stumble. We all fall. There is good news. If we confess or if we open our hearts to him, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all unrighteousness. We need to understand something. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, Jesus taught this before he had gone to the cross and before he paid the full penalty of sin. He was speaking still under the law. And he's speaking to a culture and a society that needed some, some adjustment of what they thought the law was about. When Jesus went to the cross, he took upon him your sin and he took upon him the sin that was done against you. So propitiation is a theological term that Jesus took your sin, your, your failings, your shortcomings, the things that you're shameful for, the things that you blew it, he took that upon himself. He drank the cup of your sin, the guilt, the shame, the depth, the pain, the filthiness of it. He took it on him. But he also took upon him this other term, it's called expiation, the sin that was done against you, the pain that was caused you. The betrayal, the spouse that just went off the rails, abused you, hurt you, left you, divorced you. Jesus took that shadow and pain that was done to you. He also took that upon himself so that in Christ you can find healing and Forgiveness, not only from your mistakes, but from the mistakes that were done against you. You can find healing and restoration at the foot of the cross. You are not marked by divorce. You are now marked by the blood of Jesus. Your future is not limited because of, of what someone did or even what you did. Your future is in the hands of a good God who says, I'm going to make sure you get where you need to get, when you need to get there. Give your life to me. And that's why the scripture says, in Christ, all things are made new. All. Everybody say all. 
Jesus came to set you free from any limitation in your life because of your sin and because of someone else's sin against you. The reality is this, you, we must never forget. Jesus is in the sin forgiving business. He gives us beauty for our ashes. He wants to give you beauty for your ashes. He gives us joy for our mourning and and weeping. He gives us life for what has died in our lives. He breathes new life into areas that, that died and we've given up hope of ever being married ever again. Because the blood of Jesus forgives me and, and sets me new in this area, but not in the area of divorce. I'm marked for the rest of my life. Give me a D, I wear it right here, and I walk around just shame and filled with guilt. Jesus says that is not to be for people in my kingdom. You are to be free. The gospel of Jesus Christ delights in putting broken lives back together. He delights in putting broken marriages back together, broken homes back together. He delights in healing us from broken hearts, cleansing us and forgiving us and giving us more than we could have ever imagined or deserved. If you are a child of God, the Lord says, As you have submitted to him, you've confessed, he says you are forgiven. The Bible says that God chooses to remember our sins no more. Chooses. He could, but he chooses not to. In Christ, all things are made new. Now, it doesn't mean there aren't consequences. It's not to be a license to sin. Actually, Scripture is very clear. Is the grace of God a license for us to sin? Oh, oh, great, I can be forgiven. No, 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 no. The consequences in your life are still going to be real. The grace of God is given to us when we are humbled. When we, we know that we blew it. And in that moment, that's why the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is in that moment of recognizing, I blew it, that Jesus in your poorness of heart, brokenness of heart, humility of heart, he restores you and offers you the blessing of his kingdom. The sin of divorce marks so many of us. But it's not to be your identity. So if you're a child today, or you were a child in a home that split up, and you carry with you the pain of rejection because of the divorce, listen to me, the Lord wants to heal you today. If you've been touched by the pain of divorce, because of other Christians, because they've condemned you, because they've limited you, the Lord wants you to forgive them today. 
You are not who someone else says you are. You are who the Lord Jesus Christ says you are. The Holy Spirit maybe today has revealed to you that you have been seduced by the lie of the world. And it's cheapened God's covenant of marriage. Just go ahead and divorce. You deserve to be happy. You do. But as a believer, that happiness only comes through submission to the word. If that's you today, the Lord's just encouraging you to repent. Ask the Lord to cleanse you, to make things right with your husband or your wife. Maybe you've, you've divorced and you've been remarried. Now what? The Lord says just own your failings. Ask him to forgive you. Repent to the other person if you, have, you were the aggressor. And invest into the marriage you're in to the best of your ability. Be an example of what the restoration of Jesus can do in your life. If you're divorced and both parties haven't moved on, and it was not for a biblical reason, if there was, you were not in, in danger, if, if you were not, if there was not a sexual sin, or call them out. Just repent. Seek for restoration. By doing that, you are submitting your life to Jesus. The sacrifice that God desires is a broken spirit. God will not reject a broken spirit. God will not reject a repentant heart or a repentant heart. We are to thank God that he is in the sin-fixing business. There is help for your hurting marriages. There is healing from divorce. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is reconciliation. And hear me today. You have a future. I want to remind you that any gospel that articulates your future based off of your mistakes of the past is not the gospel. The Lord wants to give you a new start today. And the Lord wants to heal you. And the Lord wants to get the guilt and the shame. He's ripping the scarlet letter of divorce off of your life today. He's ripping it off. He's healing and wants to heal your heart today from being touched by the pain of divorce. He's restoring your worth that you believe that somehow you weren't worth being married to. He's storing the view that you have on yourself because of what the other person said and they went off and, and slept around on you and it made you feel worthless. The Lord says, I am restoring your worth today. The Lord is bringing deliverance to some of you who have leaned in to the, it was your idea and you've lived under guilt 
Or maybe you've just stuffed it away, never wanted to address it. The Lord says, I, I want that because I love you. Surrender it to him today. Some of you have been living under shame and guilt because you, you, you have remarried after a divorce. The Lord says, give that to me. I want to heal you. The Lord Jesus Christ is in the business of reconciliation. Surrender whatever area of your life that the Holy Spirit's dealing with, give it to him. Release it to him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today that speaks to us. That challenges us. That heals us. Lord, today we admit that we've failed, we've made mistakes, and we surrender all those things to you. God, cleanse us. Just whatever it is right now, God, cleanse us. Lord, we acknowledge today that the pain of divorce has marked me. Really, it's crippled me. Lord, heal me. Lift my head from staring at what's been done to me and what I've done. Forgive me and cleanse me. Give me a new start. Lord, today, heal our minds, heal our spirits. May our young people, may our culture as a church hold marriage in high honor as we strive to view it through your word and through your grace. Lord, we recommit ourselves to the gift of marriage. And God, all the areas that maybe we need to make right, we ask you to help us and give us grace. We surrender and we give you our lives today. If you're here today and you're with your spouse, just ask, ask you to take their hand. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we recommit this marriage to you. We repent for our pride and our arrogance. We repent for our anger and our emotional distance. We repent for abuse. We repent for sin. And Lord, today we commit this marriage back into your hands. If you're here today and your spouse isn't here because they don't, they're not serving the Lord, just take this moment and pray with me. God, today, I give you my marriage. You know my heart is for my spouse to be serving you. And so, Lord, I just surrender them to you. And, Lord, because your word says, God, help me to serve them in such a way that is a testimony of you. Lord, help me to not try to control them or make them give 
their life to you. But Lord, help me to serve them and love them. And Holy Spirit, I surrender control to you that you're the one that convicts. You're the one that speaks to. You're the one that softens the heart. My job is to love them. Help me to do that as unto you. Lord, today, if if you're single here, just agree with me and pray. God, if you want me to be married, I surrender that to you. God, you put a desire in my heart, and I ask you that you would you bring the right person, that you protect me, God, from the wrong person. And that, God, I, I ask you that you would do what only you can do and, and fulfill that desire in my life to be married. Lord, I give that to you, and I pray that you would do that for me. And I trust you, God. But also, God, if you have called me to be single or a season of single before I get married. Lord, I give that to you as well. May I honor you. May I pursue you. May you use it for a season of my shaping, a season of my impact, a season of my purpose. Lord, we surrender all these things to you. And God, I pray for us as a church that we would always honor you above anything else. I pray today, Lord, that you would convict those who were judgmental of others who had walked through the pain of divorce, who didn't understand the circumstances, who knew the letter of the law, but man, they did not know. We did not know the spirit of the law. Forgive us, God. For those who have suffered under the shame of guilt in the name of Christians, heal our hearts today. Lord, we forgive them. Lord, today may we make a decision as a church that we are here to offer the gospel, to offer truth, to love the hurting, to love the broken, and to administer the spirit of reconciliation. Forgive us for condemnation. Forgive us for pointing things that are out with people when they come in this building or around us. Forgive us for being the voice of the enemy into people's hearts and minds as they are surrendering their lives to you. Forgive me. Heal me. We surrender our lives to you. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us. Thank you, Lord, for the covenant of marriage. And thank you, God, for your grace in our lives. Just remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you say, I, I, want, I, I want to give my life. If you want to be saved today and come into agreement with what God's already done for your life. Just raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. Just raise it up. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The scripture says if you believe it, 
and you confess it out of Romans 10, that you will be saved. This is the work of God that he's done. This isn't your work. You're just coming into agreement with what he's already done. And so let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. I give you my life. I confess I need you. And I commit my heart to you. I come into agreement that you died for me and you rose for me. And I put my faith in that. And I put my faith in you. From this moment forward, I will follow you all the days of my life with your help. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand today? Thank you, Father. If you gave your life to Jesus today, there's a card right in front of you. You can pull that out and just fill in the information. You can just give us your name, check the box, and the way we can get get a hold of you. When we leave, you can drop it off in that bucket there. And we just want to help you in your new journey. Also, if you don't want to fill that out, you can text SAVE to the number on the screen. Or you can just jump online and just say, hey, I want some more information about my faith. And we will be honored to walk with you. Let's all stand to our feet. If you would be open and willing, I would love to pray over you and bless you today. So can you just lift your hands to surrender to the Lord, to receive, a posture to receive. Father, I pray for our people, your precious people. God, I ask you that you would bless them. I ask you that you would heal them. I ask you that you would restore everything the enemy has stolen from them. God, I ask you that you would prosper them wherever they are, in their workplace, in their home. God, I ask you that you would remove every lie of the enemy off of their minds. God, I pray that you would prosper our marriages. I pray that you would prosper, God, their lives in singleness. God, I ask you that you would release the power of the Holy Spirit over their lives, that they be filled fresh and anew with a new anointing to be what you called them to be, which is salt and light. God, I pray right now you'd fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit and they would leave here different than how they came. Guide them and keep them. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Let's give God one more hand today.